You're listening to episode nine of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. In this episode, change from the middle. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. Well, Diana, I, I know that you had a chance to look at some uh, interesting blogs uh, recently. Um, one was about um, kind of the more things uh, change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> right. And another one um, that I thought was really intriguing, too, was uh, about uh, middle management. So let's talk a little bit about those those two things. Right. Um, uh, do, you, do you have some comments you want to lead off with about that? Well, the, the, um, the one article talked about, um, actually it's not the more things change, the more they stay the same, it's the more things change, the more our objections to change stay the same. The more reasons oh, right, right, right. that we You're have. Right. You're right. right, of course. And, and, and that's an, an interesting, uh, that was a very interesting list. Um, it was, uh, the blog was written by the man who founded, um, Fast Company, Bill Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And he was, he, in the blog, he says that, uh, when they started Fast Company 20 years ago, one of the very first articles, I think the lead article, was, uh, referencing a list that another man had written in 1958 over why people say they can't make change. And uh, and 20 years ago, that list looked remark still remarkably similar to what people were saying then. And in this in this blog, uh, Mr. Taylor is saying, and even today, that list of why people say they can't change is the same. And I thought that was an interesting connect. There's an interesting connection there with this other blog post that was about uh, how middle middle managers how the role of middle managers in change initiatives is so critical and how we sometimes call them the permafrost layer, right? Yeah. Nothing gets through either coming right. down or going up and, and that, that um, as we know in our, in our work in organizational change, as they're, a, middle managers are the key. They're the key you know, and they're really the first right. people to work right. with and where many change efforts get to them last. Right. They either are grassroots that then enlist the uh, executive suite and middle managers come last, or the executive suite puts out a mandate and and middle managers tr try to implement it in some way that affects the front line, but they're also torn in so many directions that they're not, they, they can't get it done. Right. And, and I, so I thought there was an interesting kind of um, resonance between these two articles about, you know, what is it, how is it, why is it that we have so many objections to change and why are they all still the same? List of 50 objections and they are all still the same right. things that we hear today. Right. Like, you know, why change? Everything's working okay. Right. You know our competitors aren't aren't doing this, so why right. should we? Right. We don't have the money. We don't have the staff. Right. Um, 
people say that this is impossible. We it's tried not, it before. Right. And it didn't work then. No. <laughs> so, so why would nothing, it work now? Nothing possibly could have changed in the, in the interim. Right. right. And yeah. we're too big. This won't work in a big company. Or, or we're too small and this won't scale. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, so that's a reword. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, um, so those things just keep coming up. Right. And, and, and basically, um, it, it also made me think a lot about, um, about some of the things we've been learning in, uh, in our work with human systems dynamics, with mm -hmm. HSD, um, that, that, you know, what is in the way here is the way we think about change, the way we enlist people in change, particularly middle managers, and the, the, um, and the thing that's always intrigued me, which is we have this meme uh, of organizational change that says people resist. There are resistors to organizational right. change. Right. Now, when, as we've worked with people in the appreciative inquiry community, yeah. you know, they will say, well, those people just have something they value in the status quo, and we need to understand what they value and help them retain that or swap out something of equal value or something like that. But, you know, and then they'll get on board. And then other people have other ways of, you know, kind of breaking through that idea of resistance. And the thing is that puzzles me is people make change all the time. Absolutely. In their lives. And they welcome it. They get married. They have babies. They buy houses. They get a new car. They choose a different route to work because there's a pothole on their old route. And they just make that change seamlessly. They, you know... People make change all the time that they do not resist. Mm -hmm. They try a new restaurant, mm -hmm. even if they're a little food picky, right? <laughs> so wh why, what is it about organizational change that we all of a sudden assume that people are going to resist? That people are, and managers in particular. Now, one of the reasons, I think, has to do with how managers are engaged in the change, mm -hmm. uh, whether they are the last people to hear about it or whether they are put in a position of being kind of squeezed in the middle. Right. Uh, right. Which, as we know, you know, when you're, when you're get, putting pressure on something from below and putting pressure on something from above in physics, what you do is you create a very compact, packed, impermeable, you know, Right. Structure there. Right. And, and you think about that poor, that poor person in the middle who is being squished and yeah. squished. Right. Um, that can't be a very, a very healthy right. or, or comfortable right. place to be. Right. And so in this, um, this other art, this other uh, blog by Benham Tabrizi it called uh, What Sets Effective Middle Managers Apart. He, he was focusing primarily on uh, a broad swath of industry, but primarily on those where they, that were embarking on large-scale change and innovation efforts. Mm -hmm. and, and he said six, in 68% of the cases, those efforts failed. And across 
high-tech retail, pharmaceutical, banking, all kind right. of industry. And that, that's pretty consistent with yeah. the data we've seen. And so the, the, he said, you know, there's a role that senior executives have there in the success or failure of those. But after that, the next most important determinant was the role of the middle managers. And, um, and he, he calls them, he's talking about mid-level managers, which he defines as managers two levels below the CEO mm -hmm. and then down to kind of frontline managers mm -hmm. in, in there. And when he looked at when there was success and when those, the determinant was that role of middle managers, mm -hmm. that they knew how to influence. They knew how to influence up and down. Mm -hmm. So in our last podcast, we talked about mentoring and coaching. So somewhere they had gained those skills, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then they also had the opportunity to identify how these organizational changes were going to align with their personal and professional goals. How, so somebody took the time to help them see how this was going to benefit them um, in terms of their own professional aspirations. Um, and then also they had, they had the opportunity to work across functions, across mm -hmm. silos, if there were silos, but certainly across functions. So again, like we talked last time about understanding different parts of the organization, yeah. working more laterally than vertically, and, and in, with cross-functional teams. So really seeing that it takes you know, all those different skill sets, all those different perspectives to make a change work. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then also how they engaged with individual contributors, how they engaged with their direct reports. And, you know, I mean, we have read research article after research article and, and seen in our own practices that the greatest determinant of whether anybody in an organization will perform well, stay with the organization, be satisfied in their job or even excited about their job has to do with the quality of the relationship with their direct boss. Boss. Right, absolutely. You know, that that and so he's he is saying in this article again reiterating that that those middle managers who have who had forged those kinds of really good relationships with staff um they were better able to navigate these and be effective right. in these right. organizational changes. Right. So some interesting implications for skill development and things for middle managers. Well, you know, in those over three the areas. years, yeah. as we've done, you know, large-scale organization change efforts, right. um, we have historically always put that emphasis on middle managers. Yeah. Um, and and on um, building um, teams of middle managers to right. support each other, to help each other. Um, you know, I don't even remember for sure how much of that grew out of um, theory base and how much of it was just our own observation of what was happening. But yeah. but I know that that's been something we've always done because 
we we saw that that yeah. made a difference, and it has always been an incredibly hard sell. Yeah, companies talk about resistance, but companies <laughs> have resisted spending the time and energy and money to do that, and yet that uh, that it's interesting that this research is pointing to the fact that that's. It's just absolutely critical yeah. um, because we've seen that time and time again. Right, right. That if, if we, you know, waiting until later, I mean, in terms of resistance, you know, waiting until later to talk about, to talk with middle managers about what a change might mean for them right, and might mean for how their role will shift, how, you know, just all the ways in which it might affect them. Um, only gives time for fears to right. to bloom and right. grow and you know become embedded and and because what you know I mean one of the things we know about you know ourselves as you know wacky humans is that when we don't understand something or or something seems unclear to us, we tend to fill in the blank with our worst fears. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, not not so, our best hopes. Not our best hopes. we go to the negative We go side. to our worst fears. And so so looking for, so the, the more we can engage people, give them good information at that managerial level about what's going to be happening, the, the less likely it is that they are going to be doing their jobs from a place of fear. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking back to a relatively recent um, uh, agile adoption uh, right. at that utility company yeah. that uh, you were involved with primarily, but I yeah. was involved with tangentially, and um, how difficult it was to get the managers into a room all together. Right. Um, and then to begin to look at their role as individuals, as a team, uh, there was not a lot of support for that organizationally at the at the mm -hmm. beginning. Right. Um, you were involved later on, uh, so maybe you you have a better picture right. than I do of how that actually developed down the road. Right. Well, um, that. There was one particular meeting that you and I were both in. Um, I think you know, and it was interesting because they got a lot of that group of managers got a lot of support from the manager, the director that they all reported to. Right. They got a ton of support from him. However, there were impediments to them working together that came from just the structure and policies and procedures of the rest of the organization. Things like um, the confusion that arises when uh, an organization moves to a cross-functional team-based structure from an individual contributor structure, but managers are still compensated on the number of people, number of direct reports they have. Right. That muddies that all Absolutely. Up, you know, and so... So then the manager's sitting there thinking, well, am I going to lose status? Am I going to gain status? Who do, who really purports to me? How am I going to know what they're doing because they're off working in these teams? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a lot around that. So there was a lot of that because that structure was still in place in terms of how managers were 
observed, um, it, it made it more difficult, even with the director's support for, these, for these, this group of people, um, to think about how they were supposed to work together. And in that meeting, um, I remember it came up that we suggested to them that the best way for them to understand the cross-functional teams that they were dealing with would be for them to form a cross-functional team themselves and use some of the same practices. Right. right. And there was huge pushback against that. Well, we've right. got too much other work to do. And it's true, they had work to do that would have been outside of that structure. Each mm -hmm. of them had other, other mm -hmm. tasks besides what that particular group needed to do. But to their credit, they continued to observe and they had continued to notice what was going on in their organization. And six months later, maybe five months later, came back and said, you know, we need to form a cross-functional team. We, we've decided, <laughs> we've decided we need to form a cross-functional team. Will you help us charter ourselves? And so mm -hmm. that's, that was mm -hmm. part of the continuing work I did there. So, um, and the chartering, you know, came out of the uh, work you and I have done for years mm -hmm. with, um, uh, in our work, work process design work and so on, and then uh, that uh, Ainsley Neese and I kind of codified yeah. in the liftoff book. But that was, that was what they needed, was to have a right. really clear purpose for how to work as a cross-functional group. And to un to think about how their role had changed from one that was primarily a vertical role and had 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 become much more of a horizontal lateral work role mm -hmm. and and you know how what what all that shift meant for them and figuring that out while doing all the other tasks that they needed to do and removing impediments so that the, the teams of value creators could, could do what they needed to do. So it was a very interesting, um, I mean, was, that, you know, that was, it, it was a great experience for them. And, and I love to see that. I mean, I just am such a group team junkie. <laughs> That's what's where I get my kicks by seeing people really form effective teams. But yeah, I mean, that, but knowing that, you know, going in there, knowing that, and for so long, only being able to work at the at the work team level, the perform the production team level, and seeing that there were these managers who just were flailing, in in many ways, and 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 trying hard, but not understanding, because they didn't have the structure. Right. Right. And um, I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, so, so that, that's wonder, one way of, of helping you know, middle managers in that yeah. situation. And I wonder how the next time around yeah. we could be more persuasive mm -hmm. uh, with who's ever orchestrating funding the, right. the, the, the um, change effort that, that putting resources towards that middle management group earlier is is it's not even an option right it, it, that it's critical yeah um, so, well, well you know <laughs> I feel like I'm going to channel Edwards Deming here but you know only if they want it to succeed 
Yeah, right. <laughs> they only need to focus there if they'd like their change initiative to succeed. I mean, you know, like Deming used to say, you know, nobody has to survive. You only need to do these things if you want to survive, right? I mean... It reminds me yeah. of... Isn't there an ad where they say um, something about, do you really have to floss your teeth? And right. Something like, well, only if you really want to keep them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some, something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's those kinds of things. It's There are... Um, well, we've... We used to quote... Um, years ago, we would quote James Burke. Right. And the, um, his really wonderful quote about... You know, it, it's not about you, the the adaptability is what allows you to survive. And if you know, being rigid means you're sitting still, and in the wild you get eaten. Yeah. If you sit still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so building in, I, it is kind of an oxymoron because middle managers. Traditionally, the role of middle managers has been to help sustain, I won't say enforce, <laughs> sustain the status quo, sustain good practices, keep things in place, make sure that things are working the way we have planned for them to work, has right. been the job of middle managers. Right. And as, and as we move into this increasingly VUCA world that we've talked about, volatile, right. uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, keeping things in place isn't, isn't the right answer. Isn't the right answer. But that does not mean that the middle manager's job goes away. Right. What it means is that becomes a job around maintaining flexibility and adaptability. That that is that's that's like the hint that's like the joints. It's the mm -hmm. hinges of the organization, mm -hmm. and it has to be able to move. Um, and people in those roles have to be able to to see their options. Um, you know, one of the tools that we like to use is the adaptive action piece, um, and and managers really learning how to how to bring in those kinds of tools to their work, so that they can look more broadly, and preserve and sustain the organization through adaptability as opposed to predictability and, and that rigidity that's been there before. So, you know, I think that has some implications for right. who gets selected mm -hmm. to be in those roles. Yeah. Because if what you're saying is true, and I, 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 I think it is true, the kind of characteristics that may have served people well previously as middle managers are not really what we're what we should be looking for now in middle managers. So, or what we should be fostering in terms of skill development for middle managers. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so rather than than people who are. Um, effective, if you will, bean counters, right. you know, and good report writers. Spreadsheet compilers. Right. <laughs> we need people who are able to be a bit more strategic, a bit more, well, a lot more flexible, mm -hmm. um, 
people who are more creative in terms of seeing opportunities and um, being able to, to bring, bring those opportunities to the organization. Um, so it's really a different kind of person. Mm -hmm. and, and people who become middle managers Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how people traditionally thought about middle management as a, as a way station mm -hmm. to getting to the top. Um, but of course, if your organization is a pyramid, every middle manager can't go to the top. Right. And so there's also a level of built-in, you know, get it, people getting stuck at middle management who would like to go further and being dissatisfied there. That's true. Yeah. But but if you if you weren't thinking about it so much right. as a way station. Right. If it was a job that because it allowed you to interface between the strategic part of the organization at the top and the implementation part of the organization at the bottom but is really more hands-on in terms of the work and the product and whatever, it, it, if there were enough rewards built into that job that it, right. that it was a place people could aspire to be and stay in mm -hmm. without feeling like that meant they were washed up, right? wouldn't that kind of change right. well, the environment? Yeah, and that's a part of our future works vision, right? Right. The idea people love their work at every level. That's right, <laughs> right. And you know, and feel like that's this is the best job for them, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that idea that idea is very exciting to me. I mean, I get I start getting goosebumps. I start getting energy when I start thinking about those kinds of ideas, because probably of anybody in our kind of traditional organizational structure where, you know, everybody has their upsides and downsides and, um, you know, I, I think of middle managers as the folks that I feel the most compassion for. Absolutely, me too. Me I, too. I really do. And I, and I know that bad managers can make frontline people's lives miserable. Um, and, but... You know how miserable can that must that bad manager be? Mm -hmm. You know to be to be acting from that. Yeah. So um, so yeah, middle managers have this critical role when we're trying to make changes. We're in a world now where we have to be making changes constantly, and we really need to give more attention at the beginning. To how we're going to engage and um, how we're going to engage and and build though develop those folks to have the kind of flexibility we need in the world that we live in today. So next time, let's talk a little bit more about how. You know, if we were in charge of the universe, which someday, you know, yeah. could happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, we would we would think about structuring that middle manager job. Yeah. Um, 
and and what we would what we would want to build in to make that a, a really richly rewarding experience for people. That sounds like it would be a fun conversation. Yeah. Please leave a comment on our blog or email us info at futureworksconsulting.com. Also find us on Twitter at futurewks. This has been episode nine of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.